Hello, this is Technology Corner for the week of December 17th, 2006. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. little programming note to start. This is the final program for a couple of weeks. Usually at the end of the year, I take the week of Christmas and the week of New Year's off. and That's exactly what I'm doing this year. And while not entirely off during the time that uh, I don't do the program, I'm doing some things in the background like working on some modifications of the website and just some kind of general clean-up, paint-up, fix-up kind of stuff that you'll see after the first of the year. I'll be back with more stuff in 2007. You know, I keep forgetting just how important memory is and how much memory has changed. I bought my first IBM-compatible computer. It was a Zenith. It came with 256 kilobytes of RAM. At that time, I wanted the most performance I could get out of that mighty 4.77 megahertz processor, so I spent... At least an extra $100. I don't remember exactly how much it was, but I'm sure it was at least another $100 to upgrade the memory from that pitiful, although I thought it was astonishing at the time, 256 megabytes to an even more astonishing 320. I just said megabytes, didn't I? From an astonishing 256 kilobytes of RAM to 320 kilobytes of RAM. Well, not too long ago, I bought a couple of one-gigabyte compact flash cards for a digital camera. They cost less than $40 a piece. Even more recently, I bought a two-gigabyte USB flash drive at Office Max. The list price they showed was $70, but it was on sale for $38, and I had a coupon good for $10 off any purchase of $20 or more. So that 2-gigabyte flash drive cost me $28 plus tax, the entire purchase under $30. The first USB flash drive I had came from a company in Israel, 16 megabytes, about $50. You do the math on that, $3.13 a megabyte. At $30 for the 2-gigabyte device, price is about a penny and a half for each megabyte. It's about six-tenths of a percent of the cost of the original. So much memory can be put in such a tiny package. The 2-gigabyte flash drive is about the same width as the original. It's only about half as long and probably half as thick It could be narrower, too, if not for the USB connector. And we're seeing the same kind of thing in hard drives. It's not all that difficult to find a 200-gigabyte hard drive from a good manufacturer, Seagate, for example. Tiger Direct this week has both a 320-gigabyte serial ATA drive and two 250-gigabyte Seagate drives, one ATA and one serial ATA, for $80. Newegg has similar deals. Micro Center shows a 160-gigabyte Seagate serial ATA drive for $60. This is wonderful news for somebody like me. I have 100 gigabytes or so of digital audio files and a like amount of space, or probably more, for digital camera images. It's wonderful, but it's also frightening because disks do still fail. The reliability is phenomenal. Meantime between failure, some of the manufacturers say is one million hours. Well, that's patently absurd. That's 114 years. But some of the manufacturers are citing one million hours meantime between failure. Only a fool would depend on that, or even a quarter of that, or even a tenth of that. 
The numbers are theoretical. A hard drive can fail immediately. The second you plug it in, it can fail in an hour. could run for 20 years. Most drives will provide reliable service for four to five years. Some will, of course, continue to operate for a lot longer than that. But the way I look at it, anything beyond four years, you're living on borrowed time, or at least your hard drive is. Two computers that I owned continue to provide service for people who purchased them from me when I upgraded. One of those computers is more than 10 years old, and the disk hasn't failed. In part, that's because I specified quality components when I built the computer. But some of it is still just luck. With drives growing as large as they are, having a full backup is harder than ever. I outgrew tapes a long time ago. I have depended on external hard drives, but there are disadvantages there. The most significant problem is the fact that I can run a backup, realistically, only once a week. I bring the hard drive home from the office on Monday, run the backup Monday night, take it back to the office on Tuesday morning. Of course, if I'm working on anything really critical during the week, I do try to make an extra copy of it on a USB drive or on something, upload it to a server, put it on a website, do something with it so that it won't vaporize if the hard disk vaporizes. But that's a lot of manual work. If you don't back up your files, you'll regret it. Maybe not today, sweetheart. Maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. With apologies to Humphrey Bogart. The trouble with backup is that you have to do it. You need to schedule the process. You have to provide the system with the right media. You need to store the media someplace. You need to make sure that place you store it is safe, and it needs to be far from the computer. So all too often, backup just doesn't get done, or it gets done poorly, or it gets done, and the backup is sitting right beside the computer. So if someone steals the computer, or if your house burns down, or if a tornado knocks it over, the computer and the backup are lost simultaneously. Ideally, the best backup system in the world would work invisibly, it would work automatically, it would put your files in a safe place, and it wouldn't cost a lot. Well, easy, invisible, and automatic aren't all that hard to do. It's been around for a while. If you have a high-speed Internet connection, there are a lot of online services. Inexpensive has been the sticking point. To back up 40 gigs of data, you'd pay iOmega more than $300 a month. Even the lower-priced services, for example, iBackup and xDrive, would cost you $600 a year for 40 gigabytes. So I was a little suspicious when I received a flyer from JNR Cameras in New York about a service called Carbonite. What's the deal with this price of $5? No matter how many files you back up, no matter how large the backup is. Can that be for real? Uh, and by the way, I don't have 40 gigabytes that I need to back up. I've got more like 100 gigabytes I want to back up. And that doesn't include the pictures from digital cameras, and it doesn't include audio files. Audio files are no big deal. I have those backed up on another machine. The files are duplicated. One machine's at the office, one's at home. So I don't worry about those. Digital photographs, that's another story. So this is going to cost me $5 a month from Carbonite. Actually, a little bit less than that. Unlimited backup, $5 a month. I downloaded the application. I installed it. At that point, I had 15 days for a free trial, during which I could decide whether or not the application was going to work. Well, the first backup takes a long 
long time. My initial backup started out at more than 90 gigabytes. It ended up being whittled down over the ensuing couple of weeks. The process is absolutely dead simple easy. It runs as a service, which means that it runs whether I'm logged on, whether my wife is logged on, or whether nobody is logged on to the computer. As long as the computer is running, Carbonite is running, and it can do a backup. All of my audio files and photographs are on external USB devices, so I can't back those up. Carbonite is working on a service for external drives. They'll be announcing that next year. Carbonite also doesn't yet work for Macs coming next year, so daughter Katie can't back up her machine, although her backups already go to another external hard drive that's at the office. Well, after five days of continuously running Carbonite, I was able to drop my full backup from 90 gigabytes down to 35 gigabytes. That's because I noticed I had scheduled some clip art resources to be backed up, as well as some video files that I no longer needed. So I removed those from the backup, and that reduced the total amount that was going to be backed up quite a bit. At nine days, the process was about 75% complete. There were 94 files remaining, but those 94 files constituted 26% of my 35 gigabytes. Carbonite backs up smaller files first. That makes a lot of sense. You get the largest number of files and leave the really big files for later. My first backup ended on December 7th, 2006, 14 days to complete the initial backup. But from that point on, backups take only a few minutes a day and go largely unnoticed. I did think about one potential problem, though. Several years ago, there was a worm that had a payload designed to destroy files. Remember the I Love You worm? It's still active, although the only way it'll get on your computer is if you're not running an antivirus program. So if your computer were to become infected with such a worm, an automatic backup service such as Carbonite would notice that the files had changed and would start backing them up. The files on your computer and the files on the backup would both be damaged. I view this as a threat but it is one that can be easily mitigated. The first thing any user should do, if you notice that there's something amiss on your computer, you realize that something is attacking your computer, the first thing you want to do is get off the network. Pull the cable. The faster you act, the less damage there will be. Once you eradicate the worm, you can get back on the network and restore the files that were damaged on your machine, but not yet picked up by the backup service. So how good is Carbonite when it comes to restoring files? That's at least as important as backing them up. If you can't restore a file, uh, the backup program isn't much good to you. Here's the way it works. There's a new item in the Windows Explorer called Carbonite Secure Backup. Shows directory by directory, every directory and file, every single one of the 101,849 files that I backed up. To restore a single file, all I have to do is navigate to it in that special view, right-click it, and choose Restore. I then have a choice of restoring the file to its original location or restoring it to another location. I did that with a few files and some small directories. Because the download speed is nominally 4 megabits per second, files are restored quickly, almost instantly. So now I'm paying less than $5 a month for a secure backup. When Carbonite makes it possible to back up external USB drives sometime next year, I'll pay another 5 bucks a month to safeguard my drive M, which is multimedia. That's where all my digital camera images are stored. And when they come up with an application that works for Apple's OS X, I'll be kicking in another $5 a month to back up Katie's computer. Carbonite's business model is an interesting one. Charge a price that's low enough to cover a bit more than your expenses 
for a service that everybody knows they need but don't want to spend a lot of money for. Well, I wish them success, not only because they have my data, but because the CEO seems to be genuinely interested in helping people avoid the pain of lost data. The CEO is David Friend, and when I spoke with him, he started by describing a survey the company did of 500 PC users. Nearly 70% of them said they had lost data in the last two years. We did a survey of about uh, 500 PC users about a year ago, and (coughs) 69% of the respondents reported that they had personally had some kind of uh, data disaster in the last two years. So it's a very common occurrence. And, you know, it's a variety. You have hard drives crash, and that happens all the time. I mean, no, no hard drive lasts more than four or five years, uh, typically. And uh, people have fires, floods. Their laptops get stolen out of their cars. They leave them in a taxi. Um, they get a virus and uh, even if you have virus protection software, somebody gets it, has to get it first before the virus protection companies find out about it. And, you know, I personally had a, a whole hard drive worth of data ruined by a virus, and Symantec came out with a fix two weeks later. Thank you. Um, so there's a whole host of things that can cause you to lose, lose data. And when we started the company, we, for the life of us, couldn't figure out why people weren't backing up given how vulnerable they were. And, you know, the answers were basically is too complicated and it was too expensive. In looking at uh, some of the competing services, I've, I've looked at online backup for actually the past several years, and the, the biggest difference that, uh, one of the biggest differences you bring to the marketplace is uh, a huge difference in price, uh, possibly some difference in redundancy. Some of the expensive services operate multiple independent sites, You store all the data in a single site, as I understand it. So talk a little bit about the trade-offs there. We will have multiple sites when we get uh, bigger, but, you know, our idea of a site is probably ten times the size of, you know, what people normally have thought of as a site. And there are huge cost efficiencies when you get up to higher volumes. So, you know, rather than start as a little mom-and-pop business and try to grow our way to cost efficiencies, we decided to raise, you know, a large amount of money up front and spend that money on an infrastructure that would get our costs down to the point where we could offer unlimited backup for less than $5 a month and uh, and then, you know, hope that the world beats a path to our door and uses up all that capacity that we bought. And that seems to have been a good bet because that's exactly what's going on. So... Uh, you know, we will probably put a half a million users at one site, and then we'll build another site somewhere else. But it really doesn't matter where the data centers are, because uh, you know we're not going to take your data and and put it in two different data centers. There's, you know, the the, the, the probability of a 747 crashing into the building and blowing it up and so forth. If that happens, losing your data is probably going to be the least of your problems. There might be perhaps some businesses that would want multiple redundant sites, but for the average home user, if your home goes away and the the data backup site goes away simultaneously, you're probably going to have other things you're worrying about. These sites that back up the backup are really archives. They're not backups. I mean, the definition of a backup is 
whatever you have on your PC, we have the exact same thing in the backup, so that if your PC blows up, you can buy a new PC and get everything back just the way it was. Archiving is when you take data that used to be on your computer and you dump it off somewhere and then you erase it from your computer so that the backup, so-called, or the archive is the only copy. And in that case, which is what most people actually think of as backup, you know, like banks and so forth, they think when they talk about backing up, they're taking old financial records, dumping them off to some tape and then shipping them off to a warehouse and they don't have them online anymore. If they ever need to get that data back, they have to go re retrieve that stuff and put it back online. And there I can see there is a good reason to have a copy of a copy. But with our product, there's always two copies. There's the copy you have on your PC, and there's the copy that we have. And the chances of losing both of those at the same moment in time is, you know, so small that it's, it's just not worth spending any more money to solve. Now, we've mentioned price a couple of times, uh, about $5 a month, four ninety five if you want to get real precise about it. And that's no matter how much data a user wants to send your way, when or if is is that going to change? It, it's actually forty nine ninety five a year, which I think comes out to about $4.17 a month. Um, or you can buy a two-year subscription, which is under under $4 a month. The reason we do the unlimited pricing is the same reason the cell phone companies and so forth do unlimited pricing, which is that you're going to make money on most of your customers, and you'll probably lose money on a few of your customers. But the simplicity that the whole pricing plan brings to the consumer is really what, what it's about for us. We wondered why people weren't buying these services that we're offering, say, five gigabytes of backup for $5 a month, that kind of thing. And one of the things we found was that everybody has more than five gigabytes of data. So the minute you uh, install a service like that, you have to then give the consumer some kind of a user interface that lets them navigate through their file system and decide what they want to back up and what they don't want to back up. And that's where about 90% of people throw up their hands and say, I don't understand this, I can't do it. Because most people, other than their My Documents folder, they have no idea where things are stored on their hard drives. And in, in a survey that we did, we found out that almost 50% of the people didn't know the difference between a gigabyte and a megabyte. And, you know, that sounds crazy, but how are you going to sell a product that's denominated in gigabytes to people who don't know how much they need, they don't know where the stuff is that's supposed to go in there, and they don't even understand what the metrics mean? When we realized that that was the, actually the way the average consumer is, then it was very clear. We just had to say, put in a pa create a password, press the start button, and then forget about it. Ninety-five percent of the people are, are not abusers. Then, you know, we probably make a little money on them. And then there's a few people who have way too much data. We lose money on it. But that's just the cost of doing business. And it's the, it's the same thing that the cell phone companies have. If you have a free nights and weekends talk plan on your cell phone and you start talking at midnight on Friday and you talk nonstop till Sunday night, you better believe the cell phone company is going to lose money on you. But they assume that not many people are going to do that. But it's an attractive feature because you don't have to be sitting there when you're yakking with your friends worrying about whether you're going over your limit and whether you're going to have to pay extra charges and so forth. It's just a nice way to do business with the consumer. You don't currently back up anything that would uh, be attached via USB thumb drives, uh, network drives, any external drives that are USB. Um, 
unfortunately, all of my digital images are on a USB device that sits yeah. off to the side of the computer. Backing up an external drive or backing up a network drive is basically the same as backing up yet another computer. And it's, it's really a marketing issue for us. So if you've got, you know, two computers on a network um, and you want us to back up both of those computers, it's going to be two subscriptions, not one. And, you know, that's how our pricing plan works. So we will offer in the future the ability to buy a, basically a separate subscription for your external hard drive because we're going to treat that as if, as if it were a network drive on another computer. And that kind of makes the pricing work for us. Otherwise, we're going to have people with five PCs on their home network, and they're going to want to try to back up all of them with one $5 a month Carbonite license. And it just you know, it just doesn't work for us. No, that would not work for you. Uh, I was, was pleasantly surprised uh, to find when I installed Carbonite that it runs as a service so that it's active whenever the machine is on, uh, regardless of whoever, is, of whoever is logged in or even if nobody is logged in. It's working. That makes mm-hmm. backup continuous. That's a nice feature. It's really nice if you're a business traveler and, you know, you open up your laptop in the airport after you get off a flight. And, you know, if you've got Wi-Fi, Carbonite just in the background there will back up all the stuff you worked on on the plane. And, you know, it works in Starbucks and it works in your hotel room. And it's uh, it's a really nice feature. You, we believe that, you know, backup should be like an insurance policy. You pay You pay your money and then you don't have to worry about whether you're going to lose your PC or have a hard drive crash. And the less you have to think about it, the less you have to do, the better. And a lot of other people in this business are putting in features, and we want to take out features. You know, I mean, we're kind of the opposite, which is uh, people are willing to pay a few bucks to have their data be safe, but they don't want to have to think about it. They don't want to have to deal with it. They just want it to happen. And that's, that's what we really strive for. So if your PC senses that it has an Internet connection, Carbonite automatically goes to work and starts backing up anything that's new. I'm still in the uh, initial backup stage. I'm one of those people who has way too much data. Um, the, the initial backup is probably going to take something in excess of a week uh, to complete, and it's, it's uh, closing average. in on that. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. uh, one thing I've noticed, though, and, and this is kind of neat, is it seems to give precedence uh, to files that have changed. Well, there's an algorithm that sort of tries to guess what's the most important things on your computer. And, you know, small files, uh, things that are changing are assumed to be kind of more crucial and things that have been sitting there unlooked at for six months. And so, you know, we do have an algorithm that goes through and says, okay, it's going to take this person a week to do their initial backup. And, you know, let's put the most important stuff at the front of the queue. And we do make an attempt to try to do that in a logical way. Do smaller files go first? Smaller files do go first. The assumption is that you lose a file and, you know, you're mad. And it almost doesn't matter whether it's a big file or a small file. A 50K byte document file that's got your resume on it may be more important to you than a 50 gigabyte file that's a video of last week's football game. So we work on the small files first, among other things and save the big, huge files for last. Now, I, I have to think that some people would be concerned about installing a service such as Carbonite, thinking that now, this is going to get in the way, it's going to chew up uh, my CPU cycles, it's going to chew up my uplink bandwidth, which isn't all that great anyway, but you don't seem to do that. I've noticed, uh, I've noticed zero slowdown. One of the things that we do is uh, whenever you touch your mouse to your keyboard, Carbonite 
almost goes to sleep. It's still working, but it's working at a very, very low level in the background so that you never want anybody to notice that it's, that it's working. And that's a pretty, it's a pretty effective uh, technical strategy. It might maybe be good to talk about uh, DSL and cable systems. A lot of people be- kind of believe what the uh, cable company has told them, that, and they think that their uploads are going to go just as fast as their downloads. They will be a bit surprised if they do the math and figure, well, you know, my, my full backup is going to take uh, eight hours, and it takes them a week. That's a good point. You know, DSL used to be called ADSL, and the A stood for asymmetrical, and that means that it's a different speed going up than it is going down. And if you look at the specifications and if you know how to do the math, you'll find that over a standard commercial or standard residential DSL or cable modem, you're probably going to get about two gigabytes a day backed up. Now, a lot of people worry about this initial backup that you're in right now, but, you know, once that week is gone and you're backed up, then you'll never have to worry about it again because you're typically only adding you know, a few files a day, and those will usually get backed up in a few seconds or a couple of minutes at most. So once that initial backup is done, then, you know, it really ceases to be an issue. And it's not really that big an issue up front, because before you started Carbonite, how long has it been since you backed up everything on your PC? About a week in my case. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so most people, it would the answer to that would be a lot longer. Possibly never. Yeah. And so, you know, it's kind of silly to worry about being partially unprotected for another week right. when, you know, your PC has been unprotected already for, you know, months or years. People like to watch the initial backup, you know, because it's a new product and they like to see what's going on. So they watch that little thermometer and carbonite that tells what percentage is backed up. But after the initial backup, you'll never see that thing below 99% unless you dump some huge number of files onto your PC. Do you do any data compression during the upload? On your PC, the software that's on your PC uh, uses a lossless compression so that you know it makes the, the data transfers as fast as they can go. And it's also encrypted using a very powerful encryption technique called DES3, which... Um, means that by the time we receive your data, it's complete hash, and we have no ability to read what your files are or anything like that. We don't want to know, believe me. And, you know, the the physical access to our equipment cage in our data center is, you know, one of these fingerprint biometric things, and there's only, you know, three employees in the company who are authorized to enter the cage and and so forth. So we... You know, we recognize that if we ever compromised the security of one of our users' data, uh, we might as well shut our doors because uh, a backup service that isn't secure, you know, where you don't have total privacy, is not going to be in business for very long. It's an absolute top priority in the company. What about other services that you might consider uh, offering uh, anything on the horizon for business users? Well, there's a version of Carbonite. It'll be called an Enterprise Edition. It's basically made for the small business. We actually have a lot of, we probably sell about a third of our subscribers right now are little accounting firms, travel agencies, and and those sort of things. It's sort of up to maybe 30 or 40 employees. And, you know, they buy Carbonite because they look at what it costs them to put Carbonite on, you know, 20 PCs, and it's a fraction of what they're paying today for some commercial service. But they don't like the fact that they have to put their credit card in 20 times to buy 20 subscriptions and they've got some office administrator who wants to have a you know a web screen that they can look at and see the status of everybody's backup to make sure that there isn't some employee out there who hasn't connected to the internet in the last month and 
you know, therefore is not backed up and that sort of thing. So, you know, there will be purchasing options that are more friendly to small businesses, and there will be some administrative features that are requested by small businesses. And there probably will be a small price difference, and they probably will get more, since many small businesses have higher speed Internet connections than a typical residential user, will probably have the ability to utilize that higher bandwidth as well. Will there be a Mac version? Yeah, there's a Mac version under development, and you know I'm hoping we're going to see that in March. In the home market and in the education market, where we're both pretty strong, uh, you know, Macintosh is disproportionately represented, so it's an important platform for us. I mentioned that I heard about Carbonite from JNR Electronics in New York City. The company is working with several large retailers to get its name out there in a way that engenders trust. One of the things that keeps people from subscribing to services like Carbonite is, is the issue of trust. How can they determine whether this is a trustworthy vendor? One of the reasons that we're making our product available through major retailers like CompUSA and Staples and, and so forth is that they do uh, you know, a very thorough job of vetting their vendors because they wouldn't want a company like Staples would not want to risk their reputation by selling a product that is going to compromise their customers' uh, privacy and things of that sort. So uh, it's important for us to make our product available through companies who have trusted brands because they, in fact, do their homework for the consumer. And, you know, that's why, you know, when you walk into a Staples store today, you can find Carbonite on the shelves and at many other retailers. What keeps people from clicking that button that says install, you know, it's just who is this company Carbonite, why should I trust them, and what are they going to do with my data? Our biggest mission really is not so much just the technology, it's really how do you build that trust with the consumer so that they'll say, okay, the benefits here outweigh the potential, uh, the potential costs, and, and they go ahead and they say, you know what, I'm going to try this. I'm going to click that install button and see what this is like because I trust these guys. I heard about you through uh, J&R Camera Shop in New York City down by City Hall. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, when these guys are signing up with a new vendor, they do quite a lot of work. They sure. look into the backgrounds of the founders. They talk to the investors. You know, they usually have a technical evaluation that just, you know, they w- in some cases they actually will come up and do a physical inspection of our data center to see if we actually have the kind of security in place that we claim we do, and those things are a benefit to the consumer. Well, from from my standpoint, I have seen nothing by way of backup that's any easier. We hope that's always the case, and we think if we're always the easiest and always the cheapest, people are going to use Carbonite in preference to anything else that's out there. David Friend, the CEO of Carbonite. You install the application, you start it up, it backs up the files on your computer, You could make a backup program a lot more complicated than this if you want to, Uh, but Carbonite's goal is to not make it complicated, to make it as simple as possible. This is the backup for anybody who doesn't know the difference between full, incremental, and differential. And it might be the backup program for everyone who does know the difference. The price? Astonishingly low. So Carbonite gets five cats. It's easily the simplest backup system I have ever used. In nerdly news, coincident with talking about hard drives, we note the passing of Al Shugart. Honest, profane, two of the words used to describe Shugart, who is the father of the PC hard drive. 
He died at 76. Co-founder of Seagate, member of the board at SanDisk. It was Shugart who worked with IBM to put those 10-megabyte hard drives in the IBM XT. That was a lot of disk space in those days. Shugart started working for IBM back in 1951. In 1955, he moved to Silicon Valley, worked in IBM's research and development lab in San Jose. He was instrumental in developing a one-megabyte hard drive. The thing weighed a ton, according to the San Jose Mercury News. He's one of those guys who refused to wear a tie despite his business successes. Shugart is survived by his wife, a daughter, and a son, four grandchildren, and, as the Mercury News notes, several dogs. Be careful out there. Big Microsoft security update this week. If you did not uh, download that, if your computer doesn't do that automatically, now would be a good time to visit the Microsoft website, windowsupdate.microsoft.com, get the patches that are out there, uh, MS06-072 through 078. Those will take care of some security problems, but it seems that as soon as Microsoft patches one problem, another one pops up. So if you use Word 2000, Word 2002, Word 2003, the Word Viewer, Word 2004 for Mac, Word 2004 for Mac OS X, or Microsoft Works version 2004, 2005, or 2006, you have a problem that was not covered by this week's patch. The workaround temporarily is something that you should be doing this way anyway. Microsoft recommends that users should not open Word or other Office documents that are attached to email messages that arrived unexpected in your inbox, particularly if they are from people you don't know. Well, duh. (laughs) If a disheveled bum walked up to you on the street and offered you the last bite of a partially eaten sandwich, would you take it? Anybody who would open an office document from somebody they don't know does not have my permission to whine when the attachment turns their hard drive to mush. Well, that's it for this week's Technology Corner. That's it for this year. See you in 2007. Thanks for listening. This has been Technology Corner for the week of December 17th, 2006. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website www.techbiter.com. You can also send me an email from there. Bye-bye. Happy New Year.